mom's gonna love this. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? She deserves it. She's a great mom. Okay, what are we missing? We got the eggs, the juice, the muffins, got the bacon, cereal, oatmeal. Dad, nobody likes oatmeal. Hey, I know we got chocolates for your mom, but there was something else that she wanted for Mother's Day. What was it? Was it a new Bible? Look how worn out that thing is. Dad, gotta start watching out for these things. I bet it was a spa day. Bet it was a new car. Uh, definitely not a new car. She's basically my personal Uber driver. We could both use the upgrade. <laughs> no. Was it those fuzzy socks? Dad, you get that for her every holiday. She has like a thousand of them. Is it one of those candles that she puts in our bedroom? Hold on. Why does she only put that on my side? What was it she wanted for Mother's Day? We're not just a mess without you. We're, we're a mess with you. Um, but good morning and happy Mother's Day, ladies. There is no way that we could possibly express enough appreciation for all you have done for us. All the little things are really the big things. And in our hearts, we know that. And, and today, we just want to honor you. I hope that throughout this day, I'm sure they are, your family is going to be taking care of you and blessing you because you deserve it on this day. And and we know that you don't want to do this, but we're going to make you do it anyway. Would you please stand up so that we can appreciate you? Ladies, would you do that? Moms, come on, grandmothers, stand up. Would you do that so we can appreciate you? Yeah. There's not enough that we could ever do. Thank you so much. I mean, stop and think you carried us around in your bodies. How amazing is that? Not one guy in the room would volunteer to do that. Can I just reveal that to you? But you did, and it's an amazing blessing. Thank you so much for that. Again, I hope your day is filled with blessings. By the way, when we're finished with worship service this morning, we have a special guest gift for you in the foyer. So I hope you'll kind of exit through the foyers. Ladies, we've got some gourmet scones, and it's not as good as a nap, but it's the next best thing. And we want to give that to you on your way out today and hope that you will feel blessed by that. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you for all that you do, and we just rejoice in that. I, I, I want to share a, a couple of brief announcements with you before we move into God's Word this morning, but before we do that, it's really on my heart, has been all week, to be in prayer for our nation and our world. These are troubled times, and God says that we are his kingdom of priests, that it is our calling to intercede for the world around us, to pray for the world around us. And the battle is really fought there. And so would you bow your heads with me this morning and let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning so much for our moms. We remember that you gave them to us, that we would know your 
motherhood was your idea. You created it from nothing and gave it to us as a gift. And Lord, we just rejoice in that. We pray that our moms would feel our appreciation, would feel your blessing today. We thank you for them from the bottom of our hearts. And then, Lord, we come to you this morning praying for our land. We remember that you said if we would humble ourselves and pray that you would heal our land. And, and Lord, the truth is our land is afflicted in so many ways. There's violence, God. There's depravity. There's rage and anger, God. All sicknesses of the Spirit that come from having turned away from you. God, we ask that you would heal us. We offer our humble repentance and pray that you would heal the heart of our land, our, our spirits, our attitudes, God. We, we know that you can do that, and we cry out to you for that. And, and then, Lord, we cry out for our whole world, God. We pray that you would put an end to wars, put an end to strife. God, we've gone so far away from you that we've begun to believe that the solutions to all our problems is to bomb our enemies, God. And while that's sometimes necessary, Lord, we know the healing comes from a deeper place. And so we pray for that. We thank you that you have taught us that the day is coming when you'll have the last word over all of it, God, when you'll wipe away the tears, when the swords will be beaten into plowshares, the lion lay down with the lamb. We look for that day, and we ask that our prayers would hasten its coming, Lord. We look for your return, Jesus. What a moment that will be. Bring healing to our world. Bring peace to our world. We pray it. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's our business, church. Uh, if you don't know this, God calls us, the followers of Jesus, a kingdom of priests called to intercede for the world around us. If, if you don't do that, let me invite you to consider doing that. It will change your life. It's the mission God has given us. So cool stuff. Hey, a few brief announcements this morning before we open God's Word together. And, and the first one, how ironic is it that the first announcement on Mother's Day is about men's conference coming up this next weekend. But actually on Friday morning, we're going to be headed out to men's conference in Tri-Cities. Friday and Saturday, we'll leave the church parking lot at 8 o'clock. If you haven't signed up yet, please do ASAP. Contact the church office. Go through the website. Uh, we want to get you your spot saved for that. And by the way, fellas, as always, if the cost is a challenge, challenge for you. Would you please let us know? Contact Pastor Weston. We we all give so that we can help each other in moments like that, and we can work out a scholarship for you to get there. So that we'll, we'll take off from the church parking lot Friday morning at 8 o'clock. By the way, and the weather turns out to be cooperative, so all of us uh, who are riding motorcycles over are also going to leave from the church parking lot Friday morning at 8 o'clock, so you're invited to be a part of that. We'll be back uh, late Sunday afternoon. So good stuff, men's conference. And then next Saturday, while the guys are gone, the women spring tea will be happening here at the church. You're invited to be a part of that. Bring a friend, bring a neighbor, no cost. It's a great time of fellowship every year. This year it'll be happening in the air-conditioned sanctuary on Saturday. Good stuff. So you can uh, come and be a part of that. Again, no cost. Bring a friend. And then finally, the last thing is that we are coming up really fast on our summer camps for kids and for teenagers. So actually, Kids Camp is early this year. It's the last week of June. So we're taking reservations and sign-ups now, Mom and Dad, for your grade school-age kids. Again, if you need help with the cost, please don't be shy to ask. 
we all give to make sure our kid, we're a family, we're in this together, so uh, we can help you out with scholarships in that way. And then coming up in July is uh, summer camp for our teenagers. Same thing, same story. They go through the church website, scan the code on the seat back in front of you, get involved. We'd love to answer your questions about camp, but they're coming up fast. And camp is an amazing time in the lives of our kids for them to get away for a week and, and clear the decks and open their hearts to God. Man, it's worth every investment. So kids camp uh, and teenage uh, student camp right around the corner, all good stuff. Grab your Bible, if you would, friends, and open it to Luke's Gospel, Chapter 8. We're going to continue our journey together through Luke's Gospel. We called it a road trip with Jesus this year. want to say a special welcome and thank you to everybody joining us online. We feel you. You're us. We're glad you're with us this morning. Luke, Chapter 8. You remember we said at the beginning of the year that, that we live, you and me live, in the age of the deep fake. Technology has made it possible for deception, lies about people, what they've said and done to be more widely disseminated than ever before. Jesus said that would be true about him as well. People would lie and claim him for their cause, invent causes that he doesn't really share. And he said we should watch out for that. We should beware of false prophets. And he said it's really simple. You can tell the difference. It's not hard. All you got to do is pay close attention to who I am, and you'll see the difference right away. And so we said we're doing that this year. It's our road trip through the Gospel of Luke with Jesus. This morning we find ourselves in, in chapter 8, verses 1 to 15 of Luke's Gospel. And let me begin by saying this. You've probably noticed that life is full of stuff that doesn't turn out the way you hoped. Amen? Can we say that? Lots of stuff that doesn't turn out the way you hoped. Ken Keller is a kind-hearted man who decided to volunteer his time to serve people in the cancer ward of his local hospital where he lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And Ken is a musician, and when he was in college, he did some stand-up comedy routines. So he decided to, to take his keyboard and polish up his jokes and got permission to go room to room, uh, entertaining people in the cancer ward who were going through some just tough treatment, whether that's chemo or radiation or the radical surgery that's sometimes a part of cancer treatment. And so he's made it his practice, his mission to do this kind of thing. One day he entered an older woman's room and he did his thing, a little singing, a little playing, a few jokes. And she was like most people in the cancer ward in, in that she didn't say much. She didn't react much. And he kind of expected that. When he was done, he said to her gently, Ma'am, I really hope you get better soon. She smiled sweetly and said, I hope you do too. <laughs> Things don't always turn out the way we hoped, right? Kind of had a different plan for how that was going to go. But let me ask you this. How much of your life has turned out the way you dreamed or planned it. You know, it's funny. When we ask that question, it can be a little discouraging. You know, lots of people look at their lives in the light of the dreams they once had, and they think, I missed the boat. You know, the kids maybe didn't turn out the way I hoped. My, my marriage hasn't turned out the way I hoped. When I look in the mirror, I don't see the person I hoped I would be. 
sometimes that kind of discouragement can can knock the joy out of you so that you you go on existing but not really living and Jesus wants to talk to us about that temptation about that tendency that we have this morning and the Bible says this set your hope Greg God says this to me your father says it to you set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed put the weight of your hopes and dreams of your heart and mind on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed in other words set your mind and heart on that moment in the future that moment that God has promised this morning we're going to hear Jesus talk about that in John Steinbeck's great American novel The Grapes of Wrath about the struggles of a poor family made homeless by the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma in the 1930s there comes a moment when Papa Joe the dad in the story says to Ma Jode if you're from Oklahoma it's not Mother's Day it's Ma's Day and he says to her Ma you're the one that keeps us going I ain't no good no more something's happened to me seems like I spend all my time nowadays thinking about how it used to be even though I know I ain't never going back there no more and then Ma Jode explains where she finds her strength. And she says, a man lives sort of, well, in jerks. A baby is born or somebody dies, and that's a jerk. And he gets a farm or he loses his farm, and that's a jerk. But with a woman, it's all one flow like a river. And there's eddies and waterfalls. But the river goes right on into forever. Let me ask you something this morning as your fellow human being, as your, your brother in Christ, as your pastor. Do you believe in forever? Do you believe in the reality of eternity? That it is, in fact, more real than the seat you're sitting on right now? than the air you're breathing right now. God invites us to recognize that eternity is more real than anything and everything here and now. And it is when we recognize that, is when we allow ourselves to accept that incontrovertible reality, that absolute reality, that we discover the ability to live above discouragement and to make the difference that our souls ache to make in the world around us and that's what's on Jesus's heart in Luke chapter 8 beginning with verse 1 let's let's listen to him together here's what the Bible says after this Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God about God's leadership in in the life of everyone who yields to him and the 12 were with him, the disciples, we know them. 
But there were also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. There was Mary, also called Magdalena, from whom seven demons had been cast out. There was Joanna, the wife of Cusa, manager of Herod's household. Some, a, a, a homeless woman rescued off the streets. A wealthy woman who served in a place of status and privilege. There were many others, Susanna among them. These women, the Bible says, were helping to support him out of their means. Now, let's pause for just a moment and take notice of something. It's worth pointing out that God's word here does something rare in that time and place. And that is that it notices all the women who were involved in Jesus's ministry. In that culture, that was uncommon. It didn't happen. The gospels stand out among historical documents. In that, women are given such a prominent place, such a prominent role. And the Bible tells us over in Galatians 3 that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And here in Luke's gospel, we see women occupying a prominent role in that moment, an unprecedented role, one that Jesus chose, worth noticing it and learning from. Wherever the gospel goes in our world, it elevates women. Wherever the gospel does not go, women are denigrated. Just take a look at the world and you'll see it clear as a bell. It's a sociological fact. And here we see that beginning to happen, even in the midst of Jesus' ministry. And then the scripture says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable, this story. He said, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture, no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil. And it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. And then when he had said this, our Lord, your Savior, looked the crowd in the eye and he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He, she, who has ears to hear, let her hear. Let's, let's pause for just a moment. Jesus is again in this moment telling a story. Why? Because people love stories. People respond to stories. That's part of it. But the bigger picture is that Jesus knows stories move both the mind and the heart. They have the power to do that. And the Son of God believed that it was the best way to spend his time on earth to tell stories like this. That's worth thinking about as we think about how we spend our time. He knew the power that stories like this have to move both the mind and the heart. But there's a, another greater, bigger reason that Jesus tells this story. And it's because he wants to challenge us. Let me help you see that. I remember when I was in the Marine Corps in boot camp, and they would sometimes do things to us that didn't make any sense. I remember coming back from lunch one day. There's 90 of us living in what's called a squad bay, a big open concrete barracks room, bunk beds. And we came home from lunch one day, and the DIs, while we were gone, had taken one of each of our boots and thrown them in a huge pile at the end of the room. 
Now, all of us have totally identical clothes, and the only way you can tell one boot from another is there's a little ink stamp on the inside of it. So they'd taken one of all of our boots, thrown them in a huge pile at the end. As we got back from lunch, the senior drill instructor shouted, barracks inspection in five minutes, get your stuff together. There's no way we could sort out those boots in five minutes. It's impossible. I mean, we tried, but the minute he said it, we knew it was impossible. I remember thinking on that occasion, like on many other cases, this makes no sense. Why is this happening? But eventually I learned that a key part of boot camp was that they would repeatedly put us in no-win situations and then watch to see who freaked out about it <laughs> because you wanted to sort those fellows out before you sent the rest into the ultimate no-win situation, which was combat. And in the same way, Jesus tells stories to sort us out, to help us discern where we are in our hearts and minds and whether we need to make a change, an adjustment. Now, Luke tells us, you'll see this, his disciples asked him what the parable meant, and that's the right response. Jesus, what does this mean? What are you saying to us? But Matthew tells us that they asked another question as well, and that was this. Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus, why are you a storyteller? Why do you tell a story like that? Then, then finish it with a, a piercing question like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why do you do things that way? And Jesus' answer was twofold. We want to grasp it. Those of us who want to follow him, we want to understand why he ministers that way. Verse 10 of chapter 8, Jesus said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. So that, there's the key phrase, so that though seeing they may not see, and though hearing they may not understand. Now we hear that, well, wait a minute, Jesus, you're hiding stuff on purpose, but Matthew fleshes that answer out a little more deeply. In verse 15 of chapter 13, Jesus adds, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. I remember as a new believer reading through this story and going, what? It sounds, Jesus, like you're making it hard just to make it hard. But in fact, the key phrase is, their heart has become callous. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that when he teaches what he teaches, some people just say, you know what, I, I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to deal with that. I got other things to focus on. Sure, I'm here because there's a crowd here and it's something new happening in our little town, but whatever. Is he done? Is it time for lunch yet? Some people were going to hear Jesus speak and have no desire to press in and understand what he says, but others were going to hear him and go, wait, what? What are you saying here? Well, this has, what does this mean? Exactly the way the disciples responded. But many didn't. In other words, to put this another way, church, we want to understand that Jesus is saying that many people don't care enough about the things he says to ask questions or seek to understand. They've got what we might call an attention deficit disorder of the spirit, except this isn't a health condition. This is a willful choice. They have calloused their hearts. Jesus says they close their eyes. They've closed their ears. Oh, sure, the sound goes in. But in their hearts is no desire to know. Jesus said, I want to separate those folks out. Now, not to condemn, but to help those folks realize what they're missing. To help those folks go, you know what? I need to ask about this if I want to get anywhere. 
I need to press in. I need to want to know why he says what he says. Maybe that's you this morning. You just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. And Jesus is saying, hey, that's a road to nowhere. I want you to press into what I say, to ask questions of what I say, to care enough to seek the truth. Lee Eklob tells a story about a conversation between his friend Todd and his Todd's son, Max, who was a second grader. Dad was exasperated because Max didn't come when he was called at the end of the church picnic. And so he said, Max, why didn't you come? I've been calling you. And Max said, Dad, I didn't hear you. And Dad was incredulous. He says, you mean you couldn't hear my voice crying out to you all that time? And when Max said nothing, Dad said, hmm, how many times didn't you hear my voice? And Max said, oh, I don't know, three or four times I didn't hear your voice. You see, Max just didn't want to hear. <laughs> and, and sometimes we can be like Max. And Jesus wants to call us out on that. Jesus wants to say, hey, Greg, you know, you're sort of skimming the surface here. You're just sort of playing the game. You're sort of, you know, coasting along when what I want you to do is press in and seek to understand what I'm saying. And Jesus says he tells stories for that purpose, for that reason. And that purpose is realized when the disciples say, Lord, what is that story about? As soon as they did that, he explains it to them. We're going to see that in a moment. And that's what he's seeking in your life and in mine is that moment when I say, gosh, God, your word says this. What does that mean? What's that about? How does that fit into my world? Jesus said, don't let your heart grow calloused and indifferent so that you just kind of scroll past what he says like you're surfing on your phone. He says, no, 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 no. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as soon as the disciples ask, Jesus explains it. Look at verses 11 and following. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Let me pause for a moment and talk about each of these four kinds of soil. Jesus says there's basically four reactions when he speaks. Four kinds of people, four kinds of soil. And the first kind is those who hear but just aren't interested. They just don't pay any attention. And he says the devil comes and steals away the word from them. Now, the idea here is not that the devil does a supernatural power trick and erases your memory. The idea here is that the devil deceives you into thinking it doesn't matter, that it's irrelevant. He tricks you into thinking it's not real or important. It's kind of like when my dad put up that electric fence around the horse pasture when I was about nine years old. And he said, Greg, stay away from the fence. Don't touch the fence. But my buddy from next door said, we should touch the fence. And he talked me out of listening to dad. That's kind of the idea here. The devil comes and deceives and tricks me. You know what? I got important things to do this afternoon. There's lunch. I'm going to get together with the guys, play video games. I'm going to focus on that. I'm just not interested in what Jesus is saying. The Lord says some are like that. And then he says others, verse 13, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy. Catch that, church. That's important. They receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They have no moisture. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Catch this. In other words, there are people, Jesus says, who receive the word with joy. They feel that thrill. They feel that excitement. They come to the altar, maybe. They respond in public. They go on social media and tell everybody about it. They receive the word with joy, but they last only a short time because they have no root. And as you and I know, a tree with no roots is just a fall waiting to happen. 
when trouble or persecution comes, to use the Lord's word, people with no root quit on their so-called faith, and they turn back from following Jesus. And, and we all know tragic stories of people like that. We're going to come back to this in a little more depth in just a moment. But the third kind of soil, Jesus says, is the seed that fell among thorns. It stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they don't mature. They don't come to the fruit-bearing place. They just sort of consume nutrients and moisture and never produce anything. In other words, some people are so consumed by worries and riches and pleasures, they never become part of the solution to the world's problems that Jesus leads us into. We're going to come back to that one too. But finally, fourth, there are those who hear the word, they start and they finish following Jesus and their connection to him is deep and continuous and it changes their whole lifestyle so that their time on earth becomes an abundant crop of good deeds and good works. Jesus says, hey, the difference is the seed on good soil stands for those who persevere. Those who aim for the end. Remember what we said at the outset? Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Those who live for that moment, that coming inevitable moment at the end when we step out of here and into eternity, those people bear so much fruit in their lives that what was lost doesn't even compare because the fruit is a hundred times what was sown. You know, yesterday I had the privilege of, of doing a wedding up in North Bend. And gosh, even after a couple hundred weddings, they're all still special. And this one happened at a 150-year-old community church built in the 19th century. And it was really a cool old building. They had taken care of it. Uh, pictures all down the walls of congregations and children's groups and Sunday school groups going back 100 years. It was really cool to walk around the building. Amazing building, uh, except that when it was built in 1872, they didn't have air conditioning. And so yesterday, it was hotter than a pistol in that building. We're all in coats and ties, and, uh, you know, Zach knows how I sweat. I, it was running off of me in rivers. I was dripping through the whole service, was falling on the floor as we led. And yet, in the middle of it, the beauty of it was so overwhelming that it didn't matter either to me or the bride or the groom or the audience. And whenever I do a wedding like that, I, I talk about the same thing at one point. I say, hey, guys, this moment feels like the end of a long journey. We've arrived. Here we are. The wedding is happening. But it's actually the beginning of a story because the wedding day gets more and more beautiful with every anniversary. <laughs> And the point of the wedding day isn't that we've arrived at the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. You know, um, yesterday in the morning when I was getting ready, I, I caught a glimpse in the spare room of our wedding album from 1984 <laughs> when Ron and I got married. And I flipped it open and I saw the glory of a brown and peach color scheme from 1984 and all those bad haircuts back then. And, and yet... After 39 years, the day's more beautiful sometimes. And Jesus says, so it is with those who persevere in what he says. It gets deeper and more beautiful as time goes on. So let, let, let's take just a moment. The first kind of soil, we can sort of set aside because that's not us this morning. You wouldn't be here if it was. The fourth kind of soil is what we all want to be. 
The second and third soil is our challenge in getting there. So let's take just a moment, just a couple minutes, and talk about what Jesus says about those two kinds of soil. He says some folks are just shallow. They never get serious about learning from Jesus and growing up in God. They're like surfers on the Internet, just browsing and browsing, getting entertained by a video every now and then, but never really learning anything. They think the decision to believe in Jesus is the end of the story instead of the beginning of the story. They never put down roots. They think what happened at the beginning is more important than what happens afterwards. But Jesus tells this story to say that's not the case. He says, I know you got excited and you got moved and it was a thrill, but he said, now that needs to grow into something more, something bigger, into a life lived with me, into a life lived in learning from me. To put it another way, some think that the definition of salvation is the joy and thrill at the beginning. But Jesus says that lots of people start with joy and then quit. And to put it another way, he says, excitement without discipleship isn't faith. It's a fantasy. <laughs> and maybe you need to say to yourself, you know what? I've been listening a lot, but I never really press in. I've never really put down roots. I've never really wrestled with the reality of what Jesus is saying. I just kind of dig it with everybody else on Sunday and move on. Jesus says, I want you to know that's a road to nowhere. I know it was exciting at the beginning, but life is about more than that. And the excitement, the thrill, the joy builds over time. In the summer of 1963, a young motorcycle gang member in Eugene, Oregon, seduced a teenage girl still in high school. And nine months later, I popped out. But that young man didn't own being a dad. And he was gone just a couple of years later which is why to this day I know him by his first name. He's Butch. A couple years after that, a man married my mom, moved into our house, and for the rest of his life went to work every single day, came home, fed me, clothed me, put a roof over my head, gave me someone to call dad, was there for all my moments. And so to this day, he gets the name dad. I have a Butch and I have a dad. Jesus says it's the same with the gospel. Some of us persevere because we put down roots. Some of us don't. Maybe you're saying to yourself, oh, no, I haven't put down roots. Good. Jesus tells the story to kind of make you aware of that so that you'll understand that it's a road to nowhere. And then he says still others, the seed that fell among thorns. He said they're overcome by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Take just a moment to understand that. First of all, they're overcome by life's worries. They spend all their time listening to the news, worrying about this, that, or the next thing, and they never become part of the solution to the world's problems. They're just an audience to it. Lots of people live like that. We just gather more information. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, this might happen. That might happen. Look where the country's going. Look where the world's going. Look, if, what if this happens? And they just sort of become an audience, worried all the time. And that worry makes them unfruitful in the gospel and in the kingdom. It causes them to just spectate without ever giving themselves to God's mission in the world. South African photojournalist Kevin Carter won a Pulitzer Prize in 1994 for a picture he took. It was a picture of an emaciated Sudanese child crawling towards a food relief center and a vulture following along behind him. During an interview after winning the Pulitzer Prize for that photograph, 
The reporter asked him how he got the shot, and Kevin went on to explain in great detail all the technical aspects of getting the light right and the angle right and the moment right and waiting for the right moment. And, and then after he'd explained all that, the reporter says, wow, so what did you do for the child? And that question was unexpected. Kevin wasn't ready for it. And he had to admit that he did nothing for the child. He just walked away and published the photograph. And that realization so overwhelmed him that two months later, Mr. Carter took his own life. Yeah, see, when we allow ourselves to be overcome with worries, we end up doing nothing. And God calls us to recognize that that's the road to unfruitfulness. And Jesus goes on to talk about some are, are, are distracted and made unfruitful by riches. Look, friends, riches are fine and they have a place. Sometimes they're a reward for living a godly lifestyle. Other times they're useful tools God uses to grow us up as his sons and daughters by teaching us responsibility and generosity and stewardship and how to use money to bless, bless others. But they're never the point of life. And if you choose to aim your life at riches, and Jesus says, you risk making no difference at the end. You risk arriving at the end and realizing that you haven't contributed anything. And what an awful feeling that is. You know, in my hobby, in my uh, wargaming hobby, we have a tradition of publishing what we call shelfies. And shelfies are pictures of our game collections. Here's a picture of one right here, right? And can I just calm you? My collection is maybe 20% of that one, but... The joke about shelfies is that when somebody publishes one, somebody else says, and how many of those have you actually played? And typically about 20% of the games have actually been played. And so the joke is, well, why do you acquire them? Well, another joke in the hobby is it's not the playing, it's the having, which it isn't, but somehow the temptation is to behave like that. In the same way, we can just get so consumed with accumulating riches that we never really do anything with them. We never really give ourselves to helping somebody else, to being part of God's solution in the world. Jesus put it this way. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So sometimes riches choke us out. And then finally, the last one, sometimes pleasures choke us out. You and I are always tempted to live life more for having fun than making a difference. Again, there's a place for fun. God gives us fun. It's a reward and a trust and a good thing unless... It becomes the thing we pursue to the exclusion of all else. I remember when our son was a teenager in middle school and he first started really getting into video games and, you know, overdoing it. And so mom and dad would intervene and I sat him down one day and I said, son, I know you enjoy playing your game, but let me teach you something that is a secret that most people don't know. And that is the more time you spend playing it, the less you'll enjoy it. I said, here's the trick. The trick is to do it a little on your off time, after you've got everything else done, and then you will always enjoy it. But if you try to use it as a replacement for all the things you should be doing, you'll lose your ability to enjoy the very thing that you're worshiping. And he had to grasp that. He had to learn that. And I'm thankful that today he has. He always says, i got to get my stuff done first before I get together with my buddies. Pleasures can steer us off course in that way. So the Lord says, lots of people will start but only the ones who finish will know the joy of making a difference, and it'll be because they took the long way home. 
Let's turn into the home stretch this morning. I asked a moment ago, which of these kinds of soils do you want to be? And I'll bet you said the last kind. Well, we become that kind by persevering. Listen again. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. By persevering, they produce. Let me ask you, as your fellow believer, are you in your faith for the long haul? Or are you just looking for a quick fix? The key to persevering is to set your mind and heart on the end of the story. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed, the Bible tells us. Let me invite you to ask yourself, have you done that? Is that where your hope is? Is that what you're looking forward to? Can I make a tiny little analogy and then finish with a story? Every morning my alarm goes off at 5 o'clock every weekday morning. And when it goes off, I know why I set it for 5 o'clock. Because my plan is to get up and go for a run. Can I tell you that after almost 60 years on the planet, still when I roll over and hit that alarm, I never feel like going for a run at 5 o'clock in the morning. I just don't. Never. Not even ever. <laughs> Maybe once you would think, but no, I turn over and I hit it. And I'm like, I really do not feel like getting up and going for a run. What I feel like is curling up and snuggling Rhonda and getting the dog on the bed and just hanging out for a while. But, <laughs> but, here's what I've learned. I've learned that every single time, if I set my mind not on this moment, but on what I'm going to feel like after my five miles, what I'm going to feel like when I hit the driveway, oh, that feels good. Every single time it feels good. And that good feeling lasts throughout the day. And so as I lay there at 5.01, thinking that all I really want to do is stay in bed, this other part of me goes, but you know what, Greg? You know how you're going to feel at the end. You know how awesome it's going to be at the end. And every single morning I get home into the driveway, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for how this is worth it. I'm glad I got out of bed. That's the key to persevering. If you'll set your heart on that moment ahead of you, when we go to glory, when we step through into eternity, when we experience forever, if you'll set your heart on that, if you'll look for that, set your hope fully on that, you'll find the ability to persevere in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work, in your church, in your friendships. You'll find that ability to persevere. Listen again, and I'll tell a story. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ is revealed. That's what Jesus wants us to grasp. That's why he tells this story. He wants me, you know, I remember the first year that I was a pastor, I went to network conference, and on the first day, they got all the retired pastors across the front of the congregation and I'm just a young guy, 24 years old, and I go in there and I see all these gray-haired men and women, and I was so moved. These men and women have served for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. They've served God's people, God's gospel, God's church. And I said, oh, God, please make me one of those. Oh, Lord, I want to be one of them someday. I'm getting a lot closer these days than I was back then. It's coming, and it's a glorious feeling. And God wants you to have that feeling. He wants me to have that feeling. It happens when we realize that persevering is where fruitfulness comes from. And persevering happens when we set our hearts on the end. Let me finish with a story. Oskar Schindler was a German businessman. You may recognize the name. In Nazi Germany, who was responsible 
for saving more than 1,200 Jewish people from the Auschwitz death camps. And how did he do that? He did that by hiring them into his companies, his manufacturing companies, and then contriving to have them declared essential workers by using his own personal fortune to bribe officials in that corrupt administration and shield them from the SS and the Gestapo. And the result was that he was personally responsible for saving the lives of more than 1,200 Jewish people. When the war was over and he was asked afterwards, wasn't it terrifying to be doing that in that time and place with those dangers all around you, those risks you were taking every day? And he said this. He said, it would have been scarier to have done nothing and then to be asked why afterwards. It would have been more terrifying to have done nothing and then asked why afterwards. Jesus knows that kind of a moment is coming for me. And he knows that kind of a moment is coming for you. And so he tells this story and he says, hey, the key is persevering. I know you want to, here's the dangers. And you overcome them by setting your heart fully on the end of the story on that moment that is coming. Let me ask you this morning, where is God calling you to persevere? In your marriage, in your parenting, in your work, in church. Where is God calling you to fix your eye on that moment at the end? It's coming when he rewards. Where is God calling you to do that? Here's what the Bible says. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. If we don't give up, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who belong to the family of believers. Is your heart set on the end? That's what Jesus wants you, his disciple, to feel and know this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you for your word today. Jesus, we thank you for the stories you tell that go deep. And thank you for challenging us and encouraging us that we might know that moment at the end of joy, of fruitfulness. Holy Spirit, teach us to set our hearts on that moment at the end. We pray for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Give your neighbor an elbow if they drifted off during the message there. Wake them up. Ladies, moms, we have a very special gift for you in the foyer, gourmet scones. They're awesome. We want you to have them. So on your way out through the foyer, please let us bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Happy Mother's Day. Tell someone you love them.